You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let not us come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today's sermon is entitled, A Deceiver, Deranged, or Deity. Mental institutions are filled with people who think that they are God, and this phenomenon is nothing new. Since the beginning of time, there have been deranged individuals who put themselves on the same level as God. The difference today is that we lock these people up for their safety. Years ago, they would have been stoned. And that's where we find ourselves in our study of the Gospel of John today, as we move into verse 18 of chapter 5. The Lord Jesus publicly declares himself equal with God. The difference between Jesus and all the other individuals is that Jesus is truly God. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. Take your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 5, John chapter 5. We've been working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through this fourth gospel. When the President of the United States was asked, in his, in his opinion, who had had the single greatest influence on his life, without stammer or stutter, George W. Bush said, Jesus Christ. And when asked why, he said, because he changed my life. In fact, he is the one who has changed the course of human history. Frequently, we hear that history is his story, and indeed it is. He split time down the middle, B.C., before Christ, A.D., on Adamani, and the year of our Lord. One writer in describing his influence put it in these words, 19 centuries have come and gone. Today, he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress I'm far within the mark when I say that of all the armies that have ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that have ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon earth as powerfully as this one solitary life, Jesus of Nazareth. Of course, there are the cynics, there are the skeptics. I've witnessed over the years those who are militantly antagonistic towards the Lord Jesus and others who think that he claimed to be nothing more than just another teacher or prophet or man. But our passage this morning leaves us no choice. If we take the Bible as the Word of God, it leaves us no choice but to say that he is God in human flesh. So you must decide. Either the Bible is true or it's not. Either God by the Spirit inspired every single word or he didn't. Now, when we come to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, it's a critical chapter. It's a turning point in this Gospel. Because if you remember, it was in this chapter that the Lord healed a man who had been crippled for 38 years there at the Pool of Bethesda. They say that because the man picked up his pallet and began to work, that he had violated the Sabbath. And so hostility begins in a brand new way. Up till this time, they had been somewhat reserved about Christ. They had questioned Him but now their hesitation turns into hostility, and their reservations turn into reactions. And a clash will begin between Christ and the Pharisees that will lead all the way to the cross. But this chapter is also critically important 
because it's one of the most clearest chapters in all the Bible that defends the deity of Jesus Christ. I believe every Christian ought to be able to take their Bible and when asked, does the Bible teach that Jesus Christ is God? You ought to be able to take either your Old Testament or your New Testament because it's found in both, both in the Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament and the Jewish scriptures of the New Covenant. If you can take your scriptures and prove that he is Lord, then you are well upon the way to being used of God. Now follow along this morning. I've entitled this sermon, A Deceiver, Deranged, or a Deity? That's the choice. John chapter 5, beginning now in verse 16. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus, therefore, answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. In greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son in order that all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him, the Father who sent me, has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is. The dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to resurrection of judgment. Now, two simple principles I want us to consider this morning there in your note-taking outline in the back of your bulletin. Verses 17 through 24, I want us to look at three claims that Christ makes, three claims that he makes. And then in verses 25 through 29, I want us to examine three actions that he takes. First, three claims that he makes. The first claim is found in verses 17 and 18 and that he claimed to be equal with God in nature. Now this is a challenging passage of Scripture. So you need to gird up your loins for action. You need to listen and pay attention because the devil does not want you to get a hold of this passage this morning. But if your heart will be gripped by it, my, it will change your perspective of Christ. Now the background of these claims again are presented here in verses 1 through 15 as he heals a paralyzed man. If you were here last time, he did a fantastic miracle. This man who had been crippled for some 38 years, he spoke, the man believed, he immediately walked, and Jesus said, take up your pallet, and he carried it. And of course, the Jews accused this man of doing work on the Sabbath by carrying a pallet. But they were not breaking God's law, they were breaking man's laws. They had taken the Sabbath laws that God had given in the Old Testament and distorted them and twisted them. And so verse 16 tells us, for this reason, 
Because Jesus told them to work on the Sabbath, the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And so what follows is a lengthy discourse on the life of Christ with these unbelievers. It's the first in a series of discourses that he gives with non-Christians that we find in this gospel. Now verse 17 is kind of a general statement upon which the foundation for the entire discourse is given. Notice, he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now, the Greek text here is quite precise. The King James and the NAS render it properly. Not he said, but he answered. This is why it's helpful to have a literal translation, a dynamic equivalent. The NIV is more fluid, paraphrases a lot. But it doesn't say he said, it says he answered. He's not just talking, he's answering. He's answering some words that they had said, and it tells us, of course, among other things, that at this point, the persecution is verbal only. They're attacking our Lord with their words. And I want to tell you, if you will live righteously, people will attack you for your faith. Jesus said, they'll say all sorts of evil against you falsely on account of me. He said, the servant is not greater than his master. And so he said, my father is working notice here, circle it, until now. And I myself am working. He's saying the Father is working until this very moment, until now, on this Sabbath day. Now, if you read the Ten Commandments, they're found in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. The Fourth Commandment says, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. What's the reason? For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, not 6,000 years, not 6,000, 6 million eons, six literal 24-hour days. He made the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Just as the Sabbath is a real 24-hour day, so are the six days of creation. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now, the Bible says God rested on the Sabbath. What does it mean he rested? Well, you know, all the rabbis of the day admittedly said, no, the Lord God must do some kind of work on the Sabbath. I mean, obviously, God doesn't stop running the universe on the Sabbath. He doesn't take a day off from watching over his creation. So in some way, he works. So in what sense did he rest? Well, not in terms of idleness or inactivity. It was not the rest of inaction. It was the rest of divine satisfaction in a work well done. And of course, that work was soon soured because it appears from the account in Genesis on, on the Sabbath day when God made man, man fell and sinned against God. And so God's rest was disturbed. So God begins the work of redemption that becomes the golden thread, a crimson thread really, all the way through the Old Testament. And so here's a crippled man. He's crippled because of sin, because of what initially started at the fall. And the Lord on the Sabbath day heals him. And oh, these folks don't rejoice in the fact that this guy who hadn't walked in 38 years can move. They're all bent out of shape because he's supposedly working. Oh, how they missed it. How they missed it. But God was working until that moment, Jesus is saying. By the way, the Holy Spirit doesn't work only six out of seven. He convicts men of sin, righteousness, and judgment seven days out of the week. Christ's blood can be applied to your life any day of the week. My Father, he says, is working until now. And notice, and I myself am working. He uses the most intimate of all terms to describe his relationship with the Father. He uses the word here, my Father. 
The same truths that apply to God, he is saying, apply to me. Jesus is arguing that whatever would justify the Father working as the owner and sustainer of the universe would apply to him as well. Look at it, verse 18, they understood that. For this cause, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus does not use the usual our Father. No Jew would have a problem with that. But here he calls God my Father, patera idion, Father my, literally. Idion, we get our word idiom from it. You know what an idiom is? It's a unique expression. When Jesus says my Father, idion, He's saying, I have a unique relationship with the Father. And of course, these people instantly understood the claim that he was making. They were not mad simply because they believed he was working on the Sabbath. They were ripped at him because they believed he was making himself equal with God. Listen, these liberal theologians who tell you that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God are so wrong. Because here's a passage where he does, in fact, the claim that he made to deity comes even from the lips of his own enemies. Now, if you remember the Old Testament, because of the idolatry of the Jewish people, for 70 years, God sent them off into exile. And if there was anything that the Jewish people learned from those 70 years, is that God hated the worship of a false god. God hated idolatry. Isaiah, one of the preachers before the exile, said, To whom will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare with him? To whom then will you liken me that I should be as equal, says the Holy One? To equate yourself with God was to invite the judgment of God. There's only five people in all the Bible who equated themselves with God, and each person invited death and judgment. It was considered blasphemy and punishable by stoning. And so as the Lord Jesus makes himself equal with the Father, the official persecution begins. And as he will say in John chapter 15, they will hate me without a cause. As will the Gentiles, I might add. They won't look at his compassionate works that he performed and the helpless and the hopeless. They will hate him without a cause. So not being able to disprove his claims... From here on out, he gives an incredible argument that I do not want you to miss this morning. There are many foolish and naive people who say, well, Jesus just claimed to be a man. The Muslim religion says, well, he just claimed to be a prophet. Many modern-day Jews, not all, there's 100,000 Jewish Messianic Jews in the United States alone who believe Jesus is Lord. And someday, the Bible tells us, during the Great Tribulation, the vast majority of Jews will come to faith in Jesus as Lord. But the majority of Jews today and Muslims and people in other religions of the world say Jesus was just a great teacher or just a great prophet. But he did not leave that possibility open to any of us. C.S. Lewis, the great apologist of the 20th century who died on the same day as John F. Kennedy, in his book, Mere Christianity, he wrote these words. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. 
Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let not us come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So the Jews here accuse him of blasphemy because he makes himself equal with the Father. Instead of denying their accusation, he goes on to affirm it, to endorse it. Now today, if a man said he was God, you'd think he was either joking or he was mentally disturbed. Christ obviously is not mentally disturbed. He's not insane. And he, from everything you said, from everything that he says here, is a sound-minded person. No, he is claiming to be Lord, and this is no joke. And so you have to decide today. Is, as the third century apologist said, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? Is he a conniver? Is he a crazy? Or is the Christ? Is he a deceiver? Is he deceived? Or is he deity? You must decide. So number one, he claims to be equal with God in nature. Number two, I want you to notice that Christ claimed to be equal with God in power. Look at verse 19. Jesus therefore answered them saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless this is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. Now, why does Jesus say the Son can do nothing of himself? Because for the simple reason, the Son of God has become the Son of Man. This one who had no beginning or end. There was never a time when Christ was not. But there was a time when he did not have a human body. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said, a child will be born unto us, and this child's name will be called Mighty God. The Bible predicted of Messiah that a baby would be born, and this would be no ordinary baby, that this baby would be called Almighty God. God became a man. And so when Christ became a man, the Bible teaches in the book of Philippians, he gave up none of his divine attributes. But in becoming a man, he humbled himself to live like a man. That unless the Father specifically instructed him to exercise his divine initiatives, his divine attributes, and so at times he did. He said, Peter, there's a fish in the sea. Put your hook in it. The first one you pull up, it's got a coin in its mouth. That's omniscience. And other times he says, oh, who did this? And so he chose to live in dependence upon the Father, to do exactly what the Father wanted him to do. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Again, claiming equality with God. What God sees, I see. What God does, I do. The point is very clear. He is saying, I am as divine as the Father. For the Father, verse 20, loves the Son and shows him all things that he is doing. Now, do you remember a few months ago in our introduction to this gospel, we read in the prologue, John 1.18, Jesus said, no man, or John wrote, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten, the uniquely begotten God, that's Jesus, who's in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. You and I could really not understand God in the way we can today unless God put a face on himself. And he did. In Jesus Christ. The Father has explained him. The Greek word is the word that we get our English word exegesis from. A good pastor is to exegete the scripture. He does not read into the Bible, at least he's not supposed to, but he's to bring out truths that were there all the time for anyone to see. In the same way, 
When Jesus Christ took on human flesh, he fully, accurately, authoritatively exegeted, explained, expounded the Father. You say, how does he do, how does he do that? How does he show us the Father? Very simple. He sees what the Father does. And out of his love for the Father, he does what the Father does. And so he will later say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. The love that the Father has for the Son moved him to show him things that he will show no one else. Jesus looked at that crippled man there at the pool of Bethesda. He looked at the Father. The Father looked at him. The Father said, heal him. Jesus healed him. Pick up your pallet and walk. Sabbath or not, he had the Father's approval. So he healed the man. And so Jesus, in essence, is saying, I'm not breaking the Sabbath because everything I do, I see the Father do. And so for you to say that I am breaking the Sabbath, you are saying that God the Father is breaking the Sabbath. you see the argument? Verse 21, he continues, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he raises. Now, the Old Testament Jews again believed that only God could raise the dead. Do you remember Nahum when he went to the king of Israel to be cured of his leprosy? And the king replied, am I God to kill or to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Do you remember Ezekiel when God gave him that vision of the valley of dry bones? When he looks down the corridors of time and he sees the Jewish people coming to faith in the Messiah? Therefore prophesy and say to these dry bones, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come out of your graves, my people. The Jew recognized that God and only God gives life to the dead. Now certainly Elijah the prophet brought someone back to life, as did the apostles Peter and Paul. But they didn't do it in their own power. They claimed simply to be instruments of Almighty God. Jesus did not claim to be an instrument of God. He claimed to be God. And by the way, while they raised people from the dead, no one ever raised one out of a grave but Jesus. He will illustrate that later in this gospel, one week before his crucifixion. He'll call Lazarus out of a grave who'd been there four days. And it's prophetic of what Messiah will do, as Daniel the prophet predicted, when he will call all the dead out of the graves and give life. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleases. Now, we just read in verse 19 that the Son can do nothing of himself. And yet this verse tells me that, in essence, the Son's will, the Son's pleasure, the Son's choices are so completely one with the Father that He can make the same kinds of crucial decisions that the Father makes. The Son also gives life to whom He pleases. He's equal with God in nature. He is equal with God in power because only God can raise people from the dead. Third, I want you to see He is equal with God in authority. Verse 22 for not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. Now it has long been recognized by all peoples 
since the beginning of time that God alone will ultimately judge the hearts and minds of men. Abraham in the first book of the Bible said, Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? The Orthodox Jew knew that Jehovah God was the judge of all the earth, and no man dared take that title to himself. And yet, this verse tells us that the Father has delegated all judgment to the Son. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He gives all judgment to the Son. By claiming to be the judge, He is claiming to be God. Whether saved or lost, we are all someday going to appear before Him. Now, as saved people, in one sense, as we'll see in a moment, will not be judged, as Jesus will say, not in reference to sin, if you've accepted the one who took the judgment in your stead. Though there is a judgment you will face as a Christian, it's a solemn judgment, not for sin, but for service. It's called the Bema Seat. God will look at everything you've done and reward you accordingly. But then there's a judgment, an entirely different judgment. In fact, it's about a thousand years after the believer's judgment. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. When all of the lost people of all time and eternity will stand before God Almighty to hear and see that the wrath that God will lay upon them is just. Now, we just studied a few weeks ago in John chapter 3 that Christ did not come into the world the first time to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But the time he comes the second time, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And the fact that he claims to be judge is a claim that he has a personal knowledge, an omniscient knowledge of everyone who has ever lived in all of time. He has a detailed acquaintance of everything you and I have ever said or spoken, everything we've ever thought. He has a perfect grasp on all of the laws of God to judge righteously. Hey, it amazes me how anyone could say that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. His claims are so clear in this chapter. All judgment is given to the Son. Why? In order, verse 23 that all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Reason why the Father entrusted all judgment to the Son is given. That all may honor the Son in the exact same way they honor the Father. Now, what do you call a person who sits in a courtroom as a judge? What's the colloquialism we use? Your honor, exactly, your honor. You treat him with great respect. This verse is saying that God the Father delegated all judgment to God the Son that men might say, your honor. That they might give him the same honor that they give to the Father. No mortal man would dare ask anyone to give them the same honor that God the Father deserves. But this is no more mere mortal man. To make such a statement, they ought to either stone him as a blasphemer or bow at his feet and worship him. Either he is supremely deluded and must be dismissed as an absolute fool, or you must fall at his feet and worship him as Lord. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877 877- 787-7478 and requesting program John 013. Every word that Pastor Carl preached today was from the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness. Have you ever wondered how you can prove the Bible to be true? Well, in Dr. Brogy's book, How to Prove the Bible is True, Pastor Carl examines five crucial evidences that prove the Bible is the Word of God and will share how you can definitively and accurately convey these truths to others. With a donation of any amount, you can receive a copy of How to Prove the Bible is True. Just call Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 to receive your copy today. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue to Search the Scriptures.